This is WCPO FM 1051 on your FM dial, Cincinnati, Ohio. WKRC, Cincinnati. This is the nation station. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Cincy Shirts podcast. It's episode number six. I'm P.F. Wilson, content director for Cincy Shirts and our sibling site, OldSchoolShirts.com. Today on our show, Mo Egger from ESPN 1530 here in Cincinnati. Mick Cronin's gotten mad at me before, in part quite justifiably when I've gone over the line, and in part because he heard this happens all the time. They don't hear what you say. They heard about what you said, which is never what you said. Josh and Mo have been friends for a while now, and our Chris Ware also sat in on the chat uh, with Mo and our uh, fearless leader, Josh Sneed. Our other fearless leader, Darren, uh, was out with the flu. Well, actually, he wasn't out with the flu. His family was all out with the flu, so he was quarantined. But anyway, we talked mostly about sports, uh, not surprisingly, but also about broadcasting in general and how Mo got started in radio and how his interest developed there. And uh, I wish we could have talked about that more because, you know, that's my bag. And uh, I thought I was the only nerd that used to lay in bed at night and see what distant AM stations he could pull in on his little tiny radio. Turns out there's another one. Uh, anyway, listen to promo code. Uh, listen for the promo code at the. Anyway, listen for the promo code at the end of the episode so you can save 20% on your next visit to our website or to one of our stores. Also, if you're listening to us via iTunes, please leave us a review. It's very helpful for us. And uh, so if you take a few seconds to do that, that would be great. Uh, other than that, well, let's talk to sportscaster Mo Egger. Cincinnati, Ohio. I come from the INCINNATI. Just maybe think of me once in a while. I'm at CincyShirts.com in Cincinnati. How's it going, man? Really good. Yeah? yeah? Finally. Finally? For four weeks, I've been under the weather, sick, flu. Upper respiratory, like you name it, I had it. I've taken four sick days the last two weeks. I've taken two in 20 years. That's crazy. Yeah. It's bad. It's It's awful. It's why Darren, I mean, we are lucky to have uh, our guy Chris uh, from Cincy Shirts in here with us, Chris Weir. Yeah, hello everybody. Filling in for Darren because Darren's entire house is under quarantine. Yes. Darren Darren just went through it and now his, uh, his wife and kid are going through it. But this is bad. Like, my wife already has cabin fever anyway because she just doesn't get a chance to get out much with our daughter. (laughs) But she is terrified of anyone in our house getting the flu and has, you know, self-quarantined, you know, herself being well and not leaving the house like all winter because of how bad this flu. I locked myself because we have a a nine-month-old. So the first day that I was homesick, I had her and I'm walking around in a surgical mask. I saw that online. (laughs) So... When I would put the mask on, she would get terrified. <laughs> but I, I had to keep her healthy. So I would take the mask mask off and it would make her happy. But then I was infecting her with God knows what the hell was swimming yeah. around my body. And then it got to the point where, fortunately, my my wife stayed home. So, yeah. I, but I, I locked myself in my room for two days. See, like I, I, come out. I can kind of relate to, to what you were probably going <clears> through as... When you're someone who relies on your voice 
and and only your voice you know that that's your money maker uh yeah. when you don't have that and you can't you can't talk i mean that's that's when it really affects you because you know a lot of people can just not feel well and still get their work done but and the thing for me is you start thinking about i'm sure you've gone through this you start thinking about how you sound instead of what you're saying yeah and that's the worst right and then it's just not fun and then it saps your energy and that's what the last i i wrote on my blog i haven't been happy with a radio show in six weeks because when you don't feel good, any work you do is compromised. The quality of it, which which for me is, it's a relative term, is always compromised when you don't feel good. And then you start thinking about, you know, your voice and managing it. And, you know, I don't have a really strong, powerful voice as is. So anything that cuts into it, to me, just ruins the day. And but then you, you just... But you're your own worst critic, right? Well, yeah, sure. There's a lot of that. Yeah. <laughs> so let's let's start like in the in the beginning. Let's start <laughs> in the beginning. So the thing that I love about you is like you have this memory like a steel trap. Right. Like you have and maybe that's why you got into the field that you're in. But you you can pull stats and memories it's useless from, stuff from sport and moments in sports like no one like any other broadcaster or any friend that I've ever had, just like you remember what a guy, what uniforms a team was wearing <laughs> on a certain night. Like, has that always just been? Did that? Did, did you relate? Did you apply that to sports, or did that just sort of kind of come naturally, or is that why you gravitate to sports? Is because you were able to sort of harvest all this information and, and be able to recall it whenever you need to. I've always been able to do that with stuff I was interested in. Sports, obviously, primarily, but I was able to do it with music or just, you know, hanging out with people. I've always been able to do that for whatever reason, identify something with either who I was with or where I was or the memory I have of, of watching it. I've always been able to do that. I can't do it with things that I'm not interested in. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, because you recall, can be a doctor. <laughs> my recall of important information is not very good. If I, I mean, I, even like when I was a kid, you know, your, your parents always say, like, you know, boy, if you know, if you could, if you could remember your history homework the, the way you remember, you know, Mike Schmidt's batting average, boy, you'd, you'd be you'd be pretty damn good. And and I just I've never been able to do that. The retention of information that didn't matter to me has never. I've never been able to do that. You you ask me about, you know, the first NBA game I attended. I can give you excruciating detail or, you know, of, of things like that. I've always been good at that. I've always also been good at, like, if, if, if a, a song comes on from, like, let's say 85 to 2005, I could tell you, like, kind of when it hit its highest peak on the chart without even looking. Or at because least I, what Bruce Springsteen's biggest hit at that time <laughs> right, was. Right, exactly. So, like, stuff like that uh, that I've been interested in, I've always been able to do that. But in for what we do for a living, I always thought, like, oh, that's that's a really valuable tool to have. It, it really isn't. You know, it doesn't help you frame arguments or come up with show topics. It just – it does help you when someone brings up a game and they get a fact wrong and then you're that guy where you're like, well, actually, you know, they were wearing uh, their, their black tops for that game. Like, oh, thanks, Mo. Okay, whatever. Yeah. So that – it really doesn't help you as a talk show host, but it is in my bag, I guess. I feel like it does help you. I like as as a – you know, as, as much as I am a friend, as a fan of just listening to you, I – I am amazed by the recall that you can, you know, yeah. 
when when someone poses a question on the phone or your producer says something, you're like you can answer it without going here. Let me look it up. Like <laughs> I have to do. So I think a lot of people who listen to your show probably know that you spent time in, both in New Jersey and in Cincinnati. But like, what was the what was the ratio of where you spent your time? Because I feel like that really defines the teams that you follow and like and the sports that you like. Yeah. So. When I was, we moved to New Jersey when I was a kid, when I was a little kid. And then every- You were born here, though? Born here. Okay. Moved to New Jersey when I was a kid. My parents got divorced when I was really young. I was six years old. And they, you know, they both, I was at the time an only child. I have a brother and sister who are much, much, much younger than me. They're, they're half, half brothers, half brother, half sister. So school would end and dad would drive me to the airport, put me on a plane, and I'd come out to Taylor Mill, Kentucky- and stay with grandma and grandpa for two and a half months. I mean, and then, you know, like Labor Day would hit, school would start back in Jersey. They'd put me back in a plane and I'd go back to New Jersey. So my summers were always spent here. Okay. And then we'd come back. Uh, my mom and I would come back once kind of during the winter. My dad and I would come back once during the spring. So I was here, God, probably 10 to 12 weeks out of the year. So I've always felt like, you know, maybe I didn't grow up here, but I kind of did. So a lot of the things that people bring up from the 80s or, you know, early 90s when it comes to Cincinnati, I remember vividly. Plus, my dad, my mom and dad are both from here. They're both My mom was from Park Hills, Kentucky. My dad was from Taylor Mills. So, you know, there was always an interest in, in the Reds and the Bengals and Cincinnati teams and living in Cincinnati and that kind of stuff. And then we moved back when I was in high school. My mom and I did. And... I just thought that was the greatest thing in the world. I, I didn't really love, uh, and I still don't love uh, the East Coast. I like to go back and, and see people, and you know, I think New York's a lot of fun. But after about two days, that lifestyle, yeah, that's not for me. And it was always weird. You you come here for ten to ten weeks at a time. When I was a kid, I'd go back, and everybody. It, it always felt like everybody talked faster. And I had to get like re reacclimated <laughs> to just how people, you know, people don't do small talk there, even as kids, you know, here people are friendly and nice and up there, there's no room for that. So it was always weird going back and forth. You'd kind of have to like right, reacclimate yourself to Cincinnati life and then reacclimate yourself to New Jersey life. And then, so we moved back when I was in high school and I thought that was great because number one, I just liked it here so much. Number two, my family was all here, my, you know, my extended family and everything, uh, but number three, if I wanted to go to a baseball game when I was a kid, it was a three-hour excursion. You know, you'd leave at 10, and then you'd, you'd see a 1 o'clock Mets or Yankees game, and you'd sit in traffic and all that stuff. And I remember thinking, all right, we're moving to northern Kentucky. We're going to be five minutes from Synergy Field. This is going to be badass. Plus, I love the Bengals, and I love the Bearcats. So I was really excited about that. And then the, the further away I've gotten from my childhood, the less I've identified myself with anything relating to the East Coast. I don't even have, I went back for my brother's wedding back in September and I had no interest, aside from seeing my brother and be a part of his wedding, I had no interest in going. Yeah. It's just, it's now, it, it's funny, occasionally I'll see someone on Facebook that I, uh, you know, grew up with and I'll have to remind myself, oh yeah, that was a huge chapter in my life. Yeah. So, but but also when you, when you do what we do for a living in this town, this is a very parochial city, and I was told pretty early on, do not mention that you're not from here. And it's like, well, you know, we're supposed to be ourselves. And they're like, no, you're from here, but you're also not from here. Just mention the parts <laughs> about you being from here because you're going to turn off everybody. People hate New York. And so I learned that lesson pretty pretty quickly. 
That's so funny. Yeah. And with two parents from Northern Kentucky, you it could have been very easy that you were a UK fan instead of a UC fan. I became a UC fan to rebel against my dad. So he was a UK yeah. fan. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So my dad, my dad rooted for UC, <laughs> but the uh, so we were here uh, for Thanksgiving in the mid eighties, like eighty six. 87 and UC played a home game with the Cincinnati Gardens and my grandfather took me with his butt and they got hammered and so I remember uh, going to the game but people don't remember I don't even this. remember that the Bearcats played at the Gardens oh yeah 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 they um there's Bob Huggins second year people don't remember this people remember the stall ball game in 83 UC Kentucky 27 to 11 where Tony Yates just held onto the ball for minutes at a time awful Patino's second year, Huggins' second year, they played a game at uh, the Shoemaker Center. And it was the year before both programs blew up. Obviously, both were trying to rebuild their programs from the ashes of probation. Rick Patino had a larger scale job in, in terms of, of that than, than Bob Huggins did. But they played a game early in the season. It was on ESPN. And we were back in my dad's house in New Jersey. And, and he was a UK basketball fan. And he had always had been. And I was... A Cincinnati fan, but I didn't know anything about the team or whatever. I just, I knew, well, you root for the Reds and you root for the Bengals. Why don't you root for Cincinnati, Dad? Well, but Kentucky and Adolph Rupp and Joby <laughs> Hall, like, whatever. They play on ESPN on a Saturday night. I think it was a Saturday night. And Patino had been the coach of the Knicks. And I was a Knicks fan. So I hated him. So, it, like, it wasn't even about Kentucky. It was, you know, F Rick Patino and anything he has anything to do with. Because the Knicks... He had kind of turned the Knicks around. They went to the playoffs in 88 his first year. And he had come from Providence where he had gone to the Final Four. 89, they had a, a really, really good team. And I kind of felt like, boy, Patrick Ewing, Mark Jackson, Gerald Wilkins, Charles Oakley, all these guys. Oh, yeah. Rick Patino, they pressed. I mean, they, they played this unique brand of ball, and I loved him. And he leaves to go to Kentucky, and I was heartbroken. So as a, like a 12, 13-year-old kid, I'm like, screw Rick Patino. And he's at Kentucky. And so, you know what, Dad? I like since we like Cincinnati. I'm rooting for Cincinnati. So they played this game. I had never heard of Bob Huggins. And in the first like three minutes of the game, he was sweating through his shirt. <laughs> like younger fans who watch him now in West Virginia where like he's the size of a car. Yeah. Uh, and he's you know, he's obviously very intense, but he sits on a stool and he kind of looks like he's winded all the time. Like, late 30s, early 30s, Bob Huggins was a, a maniac. And I remember being a kid going, like, who is this guy? This dude is going to have a heart attack, which yeah. ended up happening much, yeah. much later in life. <laughs> um, and I love how his team played. They were obviously undersized and outmanned. And they pressed up and down. And Huggins is screaming at the – he's screaming at everybody. I mean, it just – I coaches don't act this way anymore. Even as intense as Mick is, coaches don't behave this way. And I'm thinking to myself, this is how I would behave because I'm 12 years old. This is how I would behave <laughs> if I'm a college basketball coach. And they lost the game by four points. And it was immensely entertaining. And I remember going like, all right, I'm a Cincinnati basketball That's fan. That's my team. And yeah. the next year they went to the Final Four. Uh, and I wrote about this on my blog when they celebrated the 25th anniversary of that team, that it was it was kind of cool being um, uh, deciding, all right, I'm a UC fan, and then they're actually good. And no one in New Jersey had ever heard of them. I'm listening to uh, games on the radio that at the time they were on 1530 AM and, like, you know, pointing my little AM antenna because I had a 
dorky interest in, in AM broadcasting, and I'm listening to uh, uh, Fred Slezak call the games, and I was so smitten with how they played. And so, and they they you know they had the red and black thing, which was huge in the early '90s. So they go to the Final Four, and Kentucky loses the the Christian Leitner game, and just I remember, I just you know my I had so much fun with my dad on that thing, you know, like the whole week of the game, like oh you know we we play the early game against Michigan in the Final Four is is Kentucky in the nightcap, Dad? Like no, <laughs> go go you know piss off. But that's I became a UC fan kind of to rebel against him, watching the game with him. And the entire time, he's like, you know, actually, Cincinnati is a great basketball tradition, and they were good back in the 60s, but they suck now, and so you should root for Kentucky. And I'm like, Dad, but, you know, the Patino thing, he's an asshole. You know, we just had this <laughs> this whole thing. And uh, so many years later, in 05, they played each other in the NCAA tournament. And Cincinnati was a seven seed. Uh, Kentucky was a two. And we had this agreement that the, the loser of the game – had to call the winner because there's nothing worse than your team won, his team <laughs> lost, and he's just not ready for it. And I legitimately thought the Bearcats were going to win. So I go to the game in Indy and I'm driving back and I'm kind of depressed because that was Bob Huggins' last game. Yeah. You know, so to me, it had to kind of come full circle. The first time I ever watched Bob Huggins coach was against Kentucky. And now you knew this was going to be it for Bob Huggins. You, you didn't know how it was going to end, but you kind of had a sense at the RCA Dome that, that night, that that was going to be his last game as a head coach. And then you knew the program was really going to go through some some rough years, which obviously it did. Yeah. And so I'm driving back, and I'm kind of thinking to myself, wow, that came full circle. Bob Huggins versus Kentucky, losing. Bob Huggins versus Kentucky, losing. That's that's the span of my fandom of, of the Bearcats. And my dad calls me, and I answer the phone, and I'm driving back to Cincinnati, and I'm like, hey, you know, congratulations, but you're not supposed to call me. And he said, you know, about five minutes before tip-off, I realized how much that would have meant to you. And I'm like, yeah. He's like, so I rooted for the Bearcats tonight. And I'm like, oh, you. Like, what are you doing to me? He's like, no, honestly. Like, he's like, I know how how happy that would have made you. I was thought that was cool. That's very And then cool. even like like his buddies were like, oh, yeah, he rooted for the Bearcats. His buddies are all UK fans. Like, oh, yeah, he was – he was rooting for Cincinnati in his dumb Kentucky sweater. I'm like, well, <laughs> sure, that looked good at Applebee's and Crestview Hills, but uh, that's that's what he did. So, yeah, that that was that's how I became a UC fan. That's so it's so interesting how the teams we cheer for we're not always bound to them geographically. Like for me, like I'm a Duke basketball and Notre Dame football fan, yeah. and it was literally because. When I was a kid, my dad did not watch college sports. He was a Reds and Bengals fan, diehard, but never had any interest in college sports. And my older cousin, who was like four years older than me, I thought he was God. You know what I mean? Like he was good at every sport, whatever he liked, I liked. And just one year that I decided I was going to watch college sports, he cheered for Duke basketball and Notre Dame football. And I don't think he ever cheered for them again. I really don't. (laughs) You know, it's two teams that can always, there's always a chance that they're going to make a fun season yeah. for you to watch. But they're also two teams that it's hard to find a parallel that when they lose, more people could not be happier. No. You know what I mean? Like yeah. the people who don't like Duke, those Duke teams. Duke basketball moves the meter, I think, more than any team in sports. It's insane. But it's weird that like something that's tiny of just one particular time in my life that the, you know, cause I've, I've always pulled for UC and Xavier just right. as local teams. Well, um, I'm, I'm a Cleveland guy. 
Right. My hockey team is the St. Louis Blues. I've been to St. Louis twice for an hour in the airport, <laughs> and it's because, and you'll appreciate this being an AM radio guy, I, I, we lost our team in Cleveland. Yeah. I was spinning around the dial one night, heard Dan Kelly calling the Blues. That was it. Perfect. Done. 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 In. Yeah. Sorted. I yeah. mean, I have a lot of comedian friends who grew up in cities that didn't have baseball teams, so they are either a Braves or a Cubs fan. Yeah, I've talked, I've talked about this on the radio um, when Andy Griffith died. I didn't grow up in the 50s or 60s when that show was on the air, but I grew up in the 80s when the Chicago Cubs came on television every day at 2 o'clock. Every single day. Right. And you came inside and you watched Harry Carey and Steve Stone. And then at 7.40, the Braves came on. On WGN, when Cubs games would end, they would go to the Andy Griffith show. <laughs> on WTBS at 7 o'clock before Braves baseball was the Andy Griffith show. <laughs> so when I hear that song, I think to myself, Baseball either just ended or it's about to come on. But, like, that's – I, you know, I've always said I, I – Rick, my favorite place on earth is Wrigley Field because when I was a kid I'd watch Cubs games and go, that looks fun. Those people are having a blast. Yeah. And if you think about, um, you know, if you watched a Cubs game in the 90s, they always showed a lot of crowd shots. And they did it intentionally. It was to make you feel like you're here. You know, if you watched a Reds game on the, on the rare uh, occasion that they were on at home on television, they just showed the game. They didn't show people in the stands. If you go back and could see one on YouTube, if they showed a Cubs game in the in the in the '80s, they'd show you strike one, and then there's hot chick in the stands, and then there and strike two, and then there's you know a, a guy and his two kids, or and then here's some people in the bleachers. Yeah. And I remember seeing that as a kid, going like, man, one day I want to go to Wrigley Field. They play during the day. That looks like it's a blast. Yeah. And so you'd watch the Cubs. Every single afternoon, and then the, the Braves would come on, and there were always these, like, you know, weird times. Like, oh, the, the Braves are on at 5.40 today. Why? <laughs> yeah. Well, the TBS late movie's going to be on, and so they move the game. And, you know, they were terrible. No one went to the games. That's right. But you got two baseball games on TV every single day. That like, It was, like, the coolest thing ever. Yeah, it was very cool. So what, at what point <laughs> did you decide that you wanted to get into broadcasting, and was it always... Uh, was it always the intent of it being centered around sports yeah. or just broadcasting in general and you ended up at sports because that's what you know? Well, living in New Jersey at the time, in 1987, uh, all sports WFAN was yeah. launched. Uh, and my dad listened to it nonstop. Nonstop. And it was just people talking about sports. And I remember thinking to myself, like, those guys sound like they're having a blast. Like, yeah. they, they just sound like they're having fun. And uh, my grandparents were huge uh, talk radio listeners. Um, I mean, I, I remember my grandmother listening to Mike McMurray on WCKY 1530. And my grandfather listening to Bob Trumpy. And, and uh, we, we would listen to Jim Scott in the morning. And, and they always had the radio on. And then... You know, my grandfather would sit on his breezeway and smoke his pipe, smoke a cigar, and listen to Reds games when we were home during the winter. So, like, my mom my mom was a big talk radio listener. She used to listen to this guy in Philadelphia named Irv Homer, who was not a sports talk host by any stretch, but he had uh, this real deep, gravelly voice, and he, would, he was really combative with callers, and so... I listened to a lot of talk radio as a kid, just because it was always on. And it just always seemed like 
it always felt like talk radio ignited a conversation between me and my dad or me and my mom or, you know, my grandparents. I always had a curiosity as to what they were talking about. And then, you know, the idea that people are sitting in a room talking about sports, you know, when when you're a kid, you're thinking about what am I going to be one day? Like, that sounds like a pretty good thing to be. So I always, and then I was, I always had some fascination with uh, the medium and, and I'm sort of an old soul in this regard, but I remember uh, there was a story on opening day in the Trenton Times in New Jersey, and it was about how many baseball games you could listen to if you had a, you know, a good AM antenna, how many baseball games you could listen to in Trenton, New Jersey. And it kind of had like, oh, you could listen to WJR Detroit, you could listen to WSB Atlanta, you know, you could on a clearer night, you could listen to WLW in Cincinnati, you could listen to uh, KDKA in Pittsburgh. And, 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 and by the way, this did wonders for my social life. Um, you know, 12, 13, 14 years old, I'd figure out like, all right, let me see if I can do that. Let me see if I can, let me see if I can hear the Orioles on 1090, uh, WBAL. Uh, let me see if I can hear the Cardinals on 1120, WKMOX. Uh, and I would <laughs> do this. Like right here, like yeah. just hearing you know all these stations. Right. And so I would do this and, 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 you know, then I'd go to school the next day and go, Hey, uh. Hey, Jamie, let me tell you what I did last night. <laughs> um, so that really kind of ignited like a, a, a passion for uh, broadcasting and then mesh it with sports. And uh, I always kind of knew that this was sort of uh, along the lines of what I wanted to do. And and University of Dayton is known for their journalism program or sports journalism it, it's really or not broadcast? No, it's really not known for it's known for engineering it seems like a lot of people that i know come from right there, or the, is that just the, because the communication school is fantastic i went there i i didn't know anything about the university of dayton i didn't know it was a catholic school i knew it had a, a, a basketball program that had been you know pretty successful in the 60s and 70s and that's all i knew i i really hadn't given a ton of thought as to where i wanted to go but my high school guidance counselor had gone to UD, and I was looking for a school. At the time, we were living in northern Kentucky. I graduated from Scott High School, and I wanted to go semi-close, but I, you know, I, I really didn't want to go to UC or NKU. I, I wanted to kind of get out a little bit, sure, but not that far. Close enough. Yeah. And my guidance counselor said, well, you know, I went to the University of Dayton, and I'm going, that's about an hour away. And she said, yeah. So she uh, set up a campus tour. My mom and I went up there. And we're walking through the student union, and there's this glass window, and I'm walking towards it, and I'm going, that looks like a couple record players and a microphone, like, yeah, campus radio station. And uh, so the the tour guide, there were only like three or four of us on the tour with our parents, took me into the radio station, and I met, you know, a couple of the kids that were working, and one of the faculty advisors. And the reason I went there is the faculty advisor, I said, like, oh, what do you got to do to be on the campus radio station? He goes, "Uh, be a student. And I'm thinking, like, well, what classes do you have to take? And he's like, none. Like, enroll, get accepted, come here, sign up for an open shift. And I'm thinking, that's all you have to do to be on the radio? Like, that's that's odd. And I, I had gone to Western Kentucky, and to be on the air, you had to be a student for two years and take classes. And I'm thinking to myself, well, number one, that's stupid. Because the, the idea should be to practice what you ultimately want to do. Why? That's two years of, of kinks to, to work out. Yeah. So uh, that's why I went to the University of Dayton. I, I love the experience. It was way too expensive. I, a lot of it I could have taken or left. Uh, I made friends. I had a really good time. In terms of it getting me to where I wanted to go scholastically, uh, I, I don't really know that I needed a college diploma. But that four years of being allowed to be on the air was 
invaluable. Sure. And, you know, that's pre-podcasting. It's it's before people could do internet radio. Right. You know, it was like if, if you're... It's still, like your open mic night. Right. And and UC didn't have a campus radio station. Uh, Xavier didn't have a campus radio station. Really? Yeah. So they... And, and UC has a great one now. It's, it's a really, really, really good program for uh, aspiring broadcasters. And so that's why I went there. And it was, uh, it, it was, it was a great decision in many respects. It was, uh, maybe a decision I should have thought more thoroughly, thought through more thoroughly in, in, in other respects. But yeah, that's why I went there. You're just, you're being so quiet. I know. I got the front row seat here. It's pretty good. I was just listening. No, but that, that seems to be answering something that I had a question about is how you actually get your reps in when you're first starting out. And I guess that makes sense if you're doing like on a college campus. So you just pretty much had all access to that. But is that how you spent like a lot of your time? More time than I probably should have. Yeah, so when when you're a freshman, you don't get the great shifts. You know, they don't put you on, you know, f- four to five in the four to six in the afternoon. So uh, you could be on as many as three days a week. As a freshman, you know, they sort of you get the the last you get the table scraps. So I was on from two to five a.m. Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday morning. And was that live? It was live. Yeah, but the great part about it was they weren't as you know they used to. It was it was. You know, rock radio. So it was like, ah, you can talk three times an hour for a minute at a time, and you got to play this many songs and whatever, whatever. In the middle of the night, it's like, no one's listening. So I can do whatever. So I'd play a song, and then I, you know, I'd go down to the student union um, downstairs. I'd play a long record, and then I'd go down and and I'd grab a cafeteria lady and say, you know, would you like to come on up and and you know we could we could have you on the air. And sometimes that would work out, and sometimes. But, you know, the cafeteria ladies didn't have the greatest English, so that didn't make sense. <laughs> it would be confused as why they're going to be on the radio. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, oh, see, see, <laughs> yeah. And then so so I did that. And then my uh, my sophomore year, I had said, hey, I'd like to do a talk show. You, They had some, some public affairs shows. They had some student affairs shows. They had some sports shows. And so they put me on a sports show with this other guy that I had never met. He showed up for the first show. And then I never saw him again. So I think he dropped out of school. So I, I did that by myself. And then I did it by my junior year. I just said to him, like, I'll, I'll do, I want to do this sports show that I was doing two nights a week. And then I'll take whatever open shifts you have. And so that year I worked all over the place and I did a music show. I did, I, I co-hosted the student affairs show. I was the uh, voice of the Lady Flyers basketball team. So Chris Mack's wife, yeah, Christy was a Hall of Famer at UD, and so I, I called uh, her games that year. I did my sports show, and it, it, I'm sure if we could ever find the tapes, they were terrible. But you really do learn uh, about, you know, just preparation and mm-hmm. you know what it's like when you run out of things to say and how to not run out of things to say and 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 how to frame arguments and stuff like that. It was really invaluable time for me. What I then did is I got a job at uh, WLW. I had been an intern. Internship ended, and uh, they had opportunities running the board. I did that on the weekends, and I would commute back and forth from Dayton to Cincinnati. And then that turned into a full-time opportunity uh, producing their morning show. And I did that, and the reason I did that was I wanted to make sure I had an actual job out of school. So I did that, and I I had to quit the campus radio station for the most part because I I was still going to school full-time but also working full-time in Cincinnati. And there was a a great benefit to doing that. At the same time, it would be another, you know, six, seven years before I would ever be on the air again. And so I've always wondered, as, as cool as I think it is that I've only worked at one place, 
what would have happened had I gotten out of school and said, okay, I'll go work in Chillicothe, Ohio, or, you know, pick your, your small town in Indiana and been the guy who's on the air, but he's also selling some spots and he's also you know sweeping up the floors. When you go work for a place like WLW, they're not going to put you on the air when you're 22 years old. Right. Um, and nor should they. Right. There are other places you can go where they'll do that. And I, I wonder if I maybe should have done that and, and maybe how much more quickly things might have happened for me had I done that. So that, that brings up one of the questions that I've always had is that as a comic you know you can prepare an act and you have to deliver it maybe a couple times a week but it can be relatively the same each night for extended periods of time how do you get good at creating i wish i knew like but like (laughs) i mean there's so many aspects because i filled in for you yeah and it was terrifying (laughs) for somebody who has talked professionally sometimes I mean, you know, because I've gotten so used to relying on looking at people's faces while I'm talking to gauge how interested they are Mm -hmm. and at the most having to do it for an hour. You're on for now it's what, uh, three hours every day, but it used to be, was it four in the morning? It was three in the morning. It was three also? Yeah. You have your producer there Mm -hmm. on the other side of the glass to... To maybe give you some, you know, feedback on yeah. uh, visually, like their facial expressions on how it's going. But for the most part, you're just talking to people that you can't see. Like, how do you get? How did you get comfortable with that? Or how did you um, figure out? Like, hey, I gotta, I gotta come up with you know, fifteen hours of, <laughs> of stuff to talk about every week. Yeah, it's. I always say, of all the. Uh, different types of broadcasting that there is that talk radio is the most challenging. It's, it's it's all live. It's not taped. Uh, We don't get do overs. We're not reading off a teleprompter. If you're wrong about something, you don't find out after the show, a guy calls you in real time and challenges you. You know, it's, it's, you can spend your entire day preparing. Here's what we're going to do. And at two minutes till three, the Reds may make a trade and, in real time, you've got to come up with an opinion about the trade, know as much as possible about the trade, put some faith in, in your producer for, you know, getting the people on the air that, you know, need to, you need to talk to about the trade. A lot can be thrown at you. And to me, it's what makes it fun. It's, it's the challenge of it. But I almost feel like that, I could be completely wrong. I'm sure I am. But I almost feel like that's easier when a plate is handed to you of like, oh, sure. here's what you're talking oh, about yeah. today, yeah. and it's going to fill in the full three hours, maybe even tomorrow or the rest of the week. Yes, it's more no. of the days of like, yeah, like today, there's it's, nothing it's, going on. It's a Tuesday in February. There is nothing going on. Um, it's it's a challenge. You know, th- there there are certain days where you know I might not get the casual fan today. There's nothing happening, right? You know, there's the casual fans not checking in like, oh, you know, the Bengals lost. What's this guy saying about him? I mean, there's there are certain things that, you know, number one, the audience is going to be really fired up about something. And so they're going to call you. Yeah. There are certain days where you're like, you know what? The audience isn't fired up about anything. And so they're not going to call you. And then number two, you know, there's there's certain days there's a lot happening and there's a lot of balls being moved around at the same time. And, you know, people want to come to you because, boy, there's everything's happening, but I can get it all right here. And then there's days where there's nothing happening. I'm not good at making it seem like, boy, there's a lot happening when there's nothing. <laughs> so I, I no longer try to fake it. 
Yeah. I'll, I'll come on and go, look, this isn't a very heavy news day. I know that there are certain days where it's like, okay, I've, I'm going to have to pull Marvin Lewis off the shelf because I can use Marvin Lewis any day of the year. <laughs> and I, I, we've done it this the last six, six weeks or so. You know that you're kind of forcing it a little bit. But, hey, look, there's nothing else. So right. I can always go to Marvin Lewis. You know, I can always use Andy Dalton. There's no one way to do it. You know, there's no one way. I, I always I always sit down and go, okay, what's, what's doing something to people today? What's making them mad? What's making them laugh? What's pissing them off? What's getting them to talk? What's, what's, what's sending them to Twitter? And then let's make them do something based on that. Let's make them laugh, make them cry, make them pissed, make them happy, make them think, make them argue. And that's 75% of the time you can, you can take whatever's happening in the moment and do that. The other 25%, you're admitting like, all right, we're kind of making something out of nothing here. Some days you stumble upon something. It just hits you during a show. Some days it doesn't. And those are usually the days where I drive home and want to kill myself. <laughs> Do you think that benefits you, though, is that you don't necessarily, at least from what I'm gathering, that you don't feel the need to manufacture any sort of hype? You just kind of talk about more honesty of what's happening with the sports because there's a lot of downtime, Yeah, you know, especially now. But yeah. do you think it would be better for you if you were a guy that could very easily be like, you know what, I'm just going to start just talking some trash, just really starting to kick up dirt. Because it's pretty easy to get, you know, sports yeah. fans agitated. Well, you know, the, the term <laughs> the term that's used now is hot take. Yeah. And, you know, there there's a school of thought, you know, that says, boy, if there's nothing happening, make something happen. Come out and say something outrageous. And that's, I'd be very disingenuous of me to, to do yeah. that. I'm just not, I don't like it. I don't like manufacture. I don't like, I've always said, like, you... You may disagree with everything that I say, and you may think that my point of view comes from a weird place that you can't relate to, but I'm telling you how I legitimately feel. I'd like to think in uh, 10 or 11 years of doing this show that that's the one thing that people who listen regularly enough could tell you is like, you know what? I might not, might not agree with Mo's opinion, but number one, there's no ulterior motives. Mm. He's not saying this because he's trying to accomplish this. He doesn't have an agenda. This is just how he feels. Um, the really tricky part in, in this day and age, and it's not just sports talk radio, it's, I think everybody's trying to deal with how do you directly engage with the audience? You know, people do not call talk shows the way they did 10 years mm -hmm. ago. Number one, there's a lot of other ways to get a hold of me that are far more efficient than sitting on hold. Right. Number two, people are less likely to really engage in a debate with you. I think it's the one thing we've lost uh, over the last, you know, 10 to 15 years is the ability to really debate it. I was thinking about this the other day. I was not on the debate team in high school. I don't know if high schools still have debate teams. What Probably. do those look and sound like now? Where it's like you give an opinion and then the other guy just goes, oh, f you. Yeah, because that, that's a meme. That's what yeah. sounds like. That's what passes for debate nowadays. You know yeah. what <laughs> <laughs> There's a reason why the the cable TV networks are so popular because right wing guy is going to watch Fox, left wing guy is going to watch MSNBC, and there's no room for a discussion in the middle. Mm -hmm. The ideal sports talk show to me is a place for discussion. I'm going to have an opinion, but man, if you if you think I'm wrong, you're welcome to call me. People are just less likely to do that nowadays. So the framework of a show used to be. Host comes on, gives opinions, hits break, takes phone calls. Now 
you have to design a show thinking the phone phone's never going to ring. And sometimes it doesn't. And it used to drive me nuts because I used to go, boy, I'm not interesting, uh, which I'm not. Uh, no one's listening. And then the longer I've done this, the more I realize, you know what? There's a lot of people sitting in their car right now, either nodding along or flipping you the bird or whatever it is. But they're just not as as willing to call you. People yeah. are busier than ever before. They're not going to sit on hold. I mean, they're just so now if we don't have that, what do we have? And I think it could be incredibly tedious sitting there reading tweets on the air. Mm-hmm. I think that just it, it, it can can sound and be really, really tedious. So I think that the challenge for us is now, like, how do we bring in other people's opinions? How do we make the audience feel like, you know, you have a say in how this works? And I haven't come up with a solution to that. And I wrestle with that all the time because there are days where I know I'm saying something that a lot of people disagree with. And I'll look at Twitter and there's disagreement. And I, I go, man, I, I wish you'd call me and make that point. Mm. We could have a discussion. I'm not going to yell at you. I'm, I'm not going to hang up on you. I want the disagreement. I want the debate. At the end of the day, we're talking about sports. You know, Jesus Christ, if we can't have a civil discussion about that, then yeah. what are we doing? But do you think that's because during the day, the shows that lead up to you, they like none of them take calls. You know what no. I mean? Like Golik and Wingo don't take calls. Levitard has celebrities calling in <laughs> no one wants to hear Stephen a smith i know it's probably not a popular opinion with, with <laughs> diehards, but i like it 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 rubs me the wrong like i i'm just like i bide my time until you come on there but yeah. do you think it's people that have maybe have been listening to the radio all day and they just aren't they just don't think that that's it's i think there's a lot of people who just don't think that that's as much a part of the format as it should be and trust me for us it it is i mean it now you know there's there's a huge difference between caller and good caller and there's as much as there's not enough callers <laughs> so there's also not enough that. good callers you know mm-hmm. i mean um you, you know the, lance McAllister says this all the time he's like there's nothing worse than people just all day long agreeing with me oh you're right lance thanks yeah thanks no, you're right in. mo <laughs> Okay, cool. Like, you know, so, but you're right. If you listen to those national shows, they don't take calls. I think your ability to be nice to a caller who uh, can't articulate or, (laughs) I mean, like, that's what, like, I get, I cringe sometimes hearing the people that call in, you know, and I'm just, I'm picturing you, like, what your facial expression is, you know, in the studio where they can't see you. You know what I mean? Because it's, it's tough to listen to. I can't imagine, like, yeah. from the person who has to come up with a response to that call, how much harder You, it you is. know, it, when it's always odd, the day we're doing this, I'm, I'm on WLW tonight, and WLW is a bigger audience. I mean, I'm, I'm mad enough to admit that. But there's also more people listening to you that really don't know what you're talking about. I put it on. By default. I put it on because I've always had it on station. Right. And and there's more casual sports fans listening. So there are times where it's like I, I'll I'll walk in and I got like this this great topic I want to bring out. I come at it from all these angles and I got arguments and a guy calls in and he really doesn't know what you're talking about. So he really doesn't know what he's talking about. <laughs> and you just sit there and go, What am I? What are we doing here? You know, what's and that that happens on that station often. And, and that's no that's no shot at the audience. It's just kind of a byproduct. The audience is a little bit older. So those people are maybe a little bit more likely to pick up the phone and call and sit there and wait on hold. They're really, you know, a lot of times when someone wants to make a point, 
they're really not listening to the completion of the point that's being made. <laughs> right. yeah, think about it in any conversation you're in. You're chomping at the bit to make a point. You're all right. You're not letting the other person really finish. What he or she is saying is really not getting through to you. So to me, I always think like when a caller doesn't sound prepared, it's like that guy made up his mind what he wanted to say. He didn't hear the rest of my argument. He didn't hear the rest of my point. While he was picking up the phone, pissed off at me, he wasn't letting me finish. And so now he's going to call with half of the information that he should have. Yeah. Do you think some of it has to do now uh, with like the culture maybe of like social media with where people may just want to share or like somebody else's opinion? So it's kind of like primed to wait for someone else to say something that sounds clever. And so they don't necessarily have uh, organic thought themselves. So they're just trying to say what they think someone else sounds smarter than them would say. They're just trying to come up with someone else's opinions. Yeah, you know, maybe it's that. I I, I think there's, just in our culture, a, a lack of original thought. My grandmother, God love her, 90 years old, she listens to Rush Limbaugh every single day. Mm-hmm. Rush Limbaugh does her thinking for her. Exactly. Um, if Rush said it, it's true. And you know, Rush Limbaugh is a transformative broadcaster in our field, regardless of, of what side of the aisle you're on. But I, I always go, you know, a little bit less so now because of, of her age. But, I, you know, I used to go and have dinner with her once a week and she would tell me what Rush said. And I go, well, what do you think about that? Well, but, you know, Rush said this. And I go, no, 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 no. I, I don't care what Rush said. What do you think about that issue? And I think there's a lot of that in this day and age. I think there's a lot of that politically. And I think that's bled into sports where... There's, there's fewer and fewer people. They either think a certain way because they feel like they're supposed to think that way or they think a certain way because someone who they like, who communicates that thought well, mm-hmm. thinks that way. And so it's just, oh, yeah, you know, if Matt Jones of Kentucky Sports Radio said it, that's, that's how I feel. And it's like, you know, it's, it's okay to, to agree. I, I certainly don't want anybody to ever go, well, Mo said it, so that's what I think. I don't right. think anybody would do that, but... I do think that that's kind of bled into sports a little mm-hmm. bit. And um, that to me is, that just doesn't advance conversation right. all that much. So a little background for those listening. You and I met because of this shirt company. Yeah. In its earliest days, we were trying to figure out a way to reach a local audience because I was basically just promoting the company as I was on the road doing stand-up. But we were trying to figure out a way to get local people to come down to our store in Dayton, Kentucky. And so I was listening to the, your morning show when yeah. you had it with Greg Doyle. Yeah. And 2007. And I noticed that in the afternoon, Lance would always talk about his blog. Every mm-hmm. chance he got, he would mention his blog and that it was brought to you by 1-800-GOTCHA. Mm-hmm. And then I noticed that more and more often in the morning you and greg were talking about your blogs and there was never a sponsor after so <laughs> so i must have been the easiest easiest call that clear channel ever got because i called them saying how do i get get on board with this show because mm-hmm. what i noticed was your show and you in particular i mean greg was god love him he's just all over the place he's just you know like right very animated and his mind always seemed to be going in 10 different directions. Whereas I thought you had a great grasp on talking about sports, but you just, you were naturally more conversational and and funnier. And I was like, that's the show that I want to be 
Like that's the audience that that I yeah. want to hit because and, that's and the rates the were probably like. not that expensive either. It was not that expensive <laughs> to sponsor your blogs. So we started doing it when we were still look at me shirts, and uh, and then one night we you guys were doing a live broadcast downtown yeah. at Fountain Square, and uh, and we were like, let's just go meet these guys, and we I brought like this. a stack of shirts, like Cadillac to pass Ranch. out yeah. the Cadillac Ranch, yeah, and that was how you and I met, and then. Um, I think because of our friendship, I you know I've really started to to try to always listen when you're on the air. You know what I mean. Mm-hmm. But also just my my age group, you know, with us being the same age, like we have a lot of similar memories tied to mm-hmm. sports. But the one thing I feel like you've done better than any other in the city is you've always embraced social media. You weren't forced to embrace it. So like you were always plugging your Twitter and you were always mentioning your blog and your the posts on your blog weren't just like recaps of what happened it was like opinions so Mm -hmm. do you feel like you've been able to thrive because of you you know how quickly you adapted to like the the things that complement your show and not just your show i think lance's foresight benefited all of us i mean that the, the blog that i started and, and maintained to this day has only been a success because of the people that were already going to the station website because of him. Uh, that's, that's a fact. And, and so when I first started and you know, they're like, well, you have to have a blog and I'm going, okay, what am I supposed to do? And they're like, well, figure it out. I'm going Lance, uh, Lance started blogging before this, the, the, the radio stations really maintained websites. I mean, you know, go back to 2000, four maybe i mean he he started doing that before radio hosts were doing blogs and saw it coming saw it coming down the pike i mean he was brilliant in that regard and also understood it from the standpoint of building a brand how important that was going to be yeah and, which is great for him and great for us individually it was like okay i can't do that number one uh, he's gonna blog 24 hours a day number two he's gonna do everything he's gonna write about games he's gonna do links he's gonna i mean he's gonna do everything and he continues to do that so for me it was always like how do i separate myself from him so the first thing i started to do was i put up pictures of chicks yes well barstool is coming uh, just coming around right and And so for me it's like you know what this is this is just a way to get people to come to my corner of the web and then that burned out quite quickly. And it, it started to occur to me that I was I was putting some opinions up, and but I'd also put up a picture of, you know, the latest swimsuit model. And someone would say to me, boy, that chick you had on your blog was great. And I'm like, yeah, but, you know, I uh, I wrote about Chad Johnson. Did you read that? Like, <laughs> oh, no. And then so a, a friend of mine said to me, why don't you get rid of all that chicken shit around your, your opinions? Like, it's it's killing. Like, that. Like the writing's pretty good, and... Like, you have something to say, but it gets lost amid this clutter of crap. Yeah, a lot of competing forces. Right? Yeah. And that's the best advice I ever got. So, to me, it was it was a way of extending of, of extending the brand. It was also doing something Lance wasn't doing. Lance will put opinions on his, on his blog, but he sure. doesn't really sit down and try to craft a column. Um, he's done it before, and he does it very well. So, to me, it was like, okay, um, there's not a lot of written opinion in this town. There's Paul Doherty and that's pretty much it. So what if I'm the other guy in town? What if I do that? Now that's going to be very time consuming and it is really time consuming, but that to me was a way of sort of building uh, a brand, if you will. And and it's corporate speak, but, but it really is true. And then the social media aspect of it, I wrestle all the time with how much I like social media, 
how useful it is. I've always said it's, I'm in the communications business. It's my job to communicate however people are communicating. So at the same time, I don't find it to be the best place to go for a rational debate. I'm not getting that on Twitter. So I've used Twitter as a method of basically getting attention. Um, the best stuff that I think I do on Twitter is when we're being silly and I'm just giving sure. people, you know, I don't love, I don't throw out a ton of opinions on Twitter. Number one, I don't want to give away my show. Number two, the, the back and forth just, I don't love, I don't love communicating with Big Dog 92 with a, a picture of the Confederate flag as his, as his avatar. I just, right. I, you know, I, I don't know who that is. I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't like doing it. So, but you have to do it. Yeah. And so I, I really struggle with how much and, – and, you know, like you're supposed to have really thick skin in this business. People are going to tell you you suck. They're going to tell you they don't like you. I think it's the, the hardest thing to really get used to. I, I James Rapine, my producer, when he started on the air, I'm like, look, man, people are going to hate you. It's just – it's part of the gig. You're not the regular guy. They're going to hear another voice. They're just going to hate you. I get it. And, you know, you're going to be called names and this is not uh, – a business if you want to feel good about yourself based on the feedback of others. But to me, it's like, I'll sometimes go think about going through the mentions and, and I'll go, you know, I've, I, I threw myself into that show. I did everything I could to prepare for it. Um, I wrote the, the best blog that I could. I've spent my entire day giving opinions. Do I, do I really want to now spend my, my free time reading about how terrible I am or how much I suck or what I got wrong or, and sometimes the answer is yes, and sometimes uh, the answer is no. And I, I need to do a better job of engaging with people on it. A at the same time, it, it can be such a dark, miserable place. There's not a lot of happy people on Twitter, you know? There's not a lot of people who just, you know, just really just... I try to be. You try to be. I try to be. There's like just that. not a lot of joy on Twitter. And so there, there are times where I'm like... I. I want nothing to do with that. And there are times where it's like, all right, let's see what's out there. I go back and forth <laughs> with it. Press some buttons. Yeah, I go back and forth with it. What is it? Do you find it harder or easier to be a sports talk guy in a city where with the teams that you cheer and root for versus if you were in another city and you didn't have personal strong opinions about what the Bearcats or the Bengals or the Reds are doing as a as a team or the direction that the, that the, that they're heading in. It's good and bad. Um, because you're at least talking passionately about the subject matter. And you know it. Yeah. It's not because you are forced. You're going to know it. more about what you care about. Right. Um, so you, you're coming from a place of genuine care of genuine concern. At the same time, sometimes it's hard to separate. I mean, I was on the air right after the Reds lost to the Giants in 2012. And I came on the air and said, I, I do not want to be here right now. They had just lost. Oh, yeah. And we went on the air <laughs> immediately afterwards. Um, I was in Disney World. Oh. I cursed in the line uh, at Disney World when <clears throat> uh, Matt Latos gave up the Grand Slam. So, <laughs> you know, they. <laughs> to Buster Posey. I cursed out loud because I was watching it on my phone. The three games were all during the day. And so the first game was at 1 o'clock. And I'm like, I'm not going to be on the air during a Reds playoff game. I'm going, I got season tickets. I'm going to the game, you know? So game three, I taped a football show knowing no one was going to listen to it because the baseball game was going to be on game four was at two taped the entire show. I'm sorry. Game, game one or game three, the first home game was at four. 
So they taped a three-hour show, whatever. Game four was at, I believe, two o'clock. Taped a whole show that was going to run concurrent. Game five was at one in the afternoon. And I'm going, okay, I got tickets to the game, but that game's going to end, and we can't have a taped show on. So I'm going to either have to leave the game early or just figure out a way to be on the air. So I left the ballpark in the eighth inning. And I'm kind of looking at the clock, and I'm like, I'm going to be on for an hour. And they were mounting this comeback. And so I got to the station in the ninth inning. Remember, they loaded the bases. Jay Bruce had that at bat. And Lindsey Patterson was running my show at the time. And I said to her, I'm like, like, this is going to be the greatest hour ever. He's going to hit the ball into the moon deck. I'm like, I'm going to run around like a maniac. And then we're going to do an hour show, and it's going to be awesome. He flew out to left field. Roland came up. He struck out. So we went on the air. I mean, it's like he struck out at the the hit of 5 o'clock. We were running a tape show. And then we came on live. And I said, you've been listening to a recorded show. And, of course, like went on Twitter, like, hey, we're talking about this right now. Try to get people to come over and listen to us. And, And I said, I don't want to be here today. I'm like, this is this is awful. This is. Like, I am going to have a hard time really reconciling how I feel with what I'm going to say. And we did it, and it was an hour, and people called, and, and it was, you could just hear people's anger and disappointment. Oh, yeah. And you could just, I mean, more more so than anything, maybe except for the, the Bengals-Steelers playoff game, the, the sadness in people's voices. And I remember we got off the air that day. And I drove, I had a little apartment downtown at the time. And I just went inside my apartment, sat in the dark and went and thought to myself, like, I don't want to come in tomorrow and talk about this. And I like, I don't want to do this. That can be really tough. That yeah. can be really tough when it's something, you know, the Bengals playoff loss was, was something else where you can't be a frothing at the mouth, raging lunatic. And you sometimes have to be amazingly critical in knowing that it might come back to hurt people that you like, that you know, who work for teams that, right. you know, one of my, some of my best friends have worked for the Reds or Bengals and they hear about it when I'm critical of their teams. And that drives me nuts. I hate that. I, I, I hate that. So it could be, it could be, it could be really fun when you're talking about something you're passionate for and you care about at the same time, boy, you're angry or, or man, you're disappointed and you try to relay that to the audience, but Maybe you say something you shouldn't, or maybe, you know, it, it, it can be tough. And yeah. it, can, it can be really tough, you know, like now where I'm really into these teams still. I'm really into the Bengals and I'm really into the Reds, but they're not really doing anything to create a lot of goodwill right now. And so people are distancing distancing themselves from them. And that's tough for me because I want you to be really engaged and interested in the teams, but I understand why you're not. Sure. I mean, I, I, that's probably <coughs> it. Probably is a double-edged sword, you know, it, it, in terms of building a brand and building an audience. If, if people feel like you're one of them mm-hmm. and have the same feelings they do, I'm sure that that's endearing. You know what I mean? That that, that makes them want to hear what you have to say because they're saying that you're saying the things that they think. But I also imagine it's going to be awkward. Not even so much for your friends that work for the Reds or Bengals, but. You know, if you say something about Marvin Lewis or the Reds mm-hmm. ownership, and then you find yourself in the same room as Marvin Lewis or the Reds ownership, like, what is it? Is, have you had many awkward moments of like having to, you know, be face to face with somebody you may have criticized on the air? 
Um, no, I, I think there's a, I think there's an understanding. I keep it between the lines. I mean, I keep it to, do you win, do you lose? And, and what factors contributed to both? It, it should never be personal. It's never personal with me. I think if you, if you have. For you, but. For me. For, but I know, think there's. Like a, Marvin Lewis, like I've heard, <coughs> you know, I've heard you say like, it's time for him to go. Yeah. You know, I, and I, then you find out he's staying. Like, does that, does that mean the next time you see Marvin Lewis that. No, I think there's I think there's an understanding that people are going to say those things. When you have that job, they know people are going to say those things. The only person that I've I've ever felt like got mad at me unfairly was Butch Jones. Butch Jones' first year, I didn't like anything that I saw. And and to his credit, his last two years, he had good teams. But I criticized a lot of the things that I just saw. And uh, that got back to him, and that was unpleasant. Mick uh, Cronin's gotten mad at me before. Mick Cronin's gotten mad at me before, in part, quite justifiably, when I've gone over the line. And in part, because he heard, and this happens all the time, they don't hear what you say. They heard about what you said, which is never what you said. Right. It's a game of telephone. Right. And uh, with Mick and, and to a, to an extent, Chris, they're from here. So their friends are from here. Their family, they hear it all. They, they, they rarely hear it. And so I've had the, I heard you said this. And I go, not what I said. Not even close to what I said. Here's what I said. And I can prove that this is what I said. And here's why I said it. Once you explain that, it's, it's totally okay. And, and Mick got mad at me because of, of something I said about a player of his a long time ago. And he had every reason to be upset with me. And I, I gave the full mea culpa. But for the most part, when you're criticizing performance or you're criticizing decision-making or you're criticizing why a team is losing, they understand that that comes with the territory. And I, I don't make it – the Bengals themselves – have only really gotten mad at me because of nothing that I said on the air. They got mad at a quote I gave to the newspaper. So at the end of the 2010 season, the Bengals got 4-12, and 12, and tens of thousands of season ticket holders were turning in their tickets. And uh, the, the guy who covered the team at the time for the Inquirer, Joe Reedy, called me, and he goes, I'm doing a thing on Bengals season ticket holders deciding to renew or not renew. And he said, I just want to know what callers to your show are saying. And I said, well, most are, have decided they're not going back to Paul Brown Stadium. And I said, but it's not just the performance of the team. You know, the stadium itself, the atmosphere, the game day environment. And I said, it doesn't help that Paul Brown Stadium has the character of my grandfather's tool shed. <laughs> and he put that in print. And the Bengals saw that and lost their minds. Mm -hmm. That's the only thing that I've, that I've ever heard where it got back to me that they're pissed. The other stuff, I, I think there's an understanding. If we lose, you're going to criticize us. Uh, try to be fair. Don't make it personal. And I never do. Yeah. All right. A couple things. Do you think – so now you're, you're now writing for a website called The Athletic. Mm -hmm. Can you explain to people – what that website is and how you became a part of it. Because I think it, I, you know, when I heard that you were joining it, I thought this, it makes total sense. You're such a, <laughs> you're such a perfect fit for it. You and you and C Trent both. Yes. I mean, like I was so excited to hear about it, but explain to the people who may not know what it is, what it is and, uh, and what you're going to be doing for it. Well, I, I think the first thing to emphasize is this is not just a local venture. Uh, this is something that has been off the ground for a while now. It's a national website. And the one thing they've been able to do is, as a lot of media companies have downsized, cutting loose writers, 
Um, think people that you may read, like Stuart Mandel from Sports Illustrated, Dana O'Neill from ESPN. Ken Rosenthal still works for, for Fox, but he's had no place to write since they essentially tanked uh, FoxSports.com. Uh, they've all gone to write for The Athletic, and they're all those are all national, huge national writers. They've opened up, um, I don't even know what the right word is, uh, for lack of a better word, I'll say offices in a number of towns around the country and in Canada where they're giving fans another outlet for coverage. So the Athletic Cincinnati's hired C. Trent Rosecrans, who for years wrote for the Inquirer. He's now writing for the Athletic, and he's doing the same thing he's doing, covering the Reds, or he was doing covering the Reds. And, you know, written coverage of a sports team has changed in the fact that, you know, there's not really a, a premium on writing game stories. It's more the stuff happening behind the scenes. It's feature stories. It's more the how and the why instead of the what. And so C. Trent's doing that. They've hired beat writers for teams all over the country. If you get the Athletic Cincinnati, you have access to the Athletic everywhere. Uh, it is a paid subscription service. It costs less than the uh, monthly subscription to the newspaper. I'm of the opinion that there's room for both. Uh, I think the, the Inquirer does a, a marvelous job covering local sports. I would continue to suggest that people continue to support that publication, but but also give The Athletic a try. The, 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 better, the more things that are out there, the more content, the better for audiences, the better for readers, the better for fans. And so I'm all for as many outlets and as many different perspectives on a team as possible. The thing that I like about The Athletic, and I was a reader before I ever started working for them, was you pay the subscription, but there's no ads, there's no pop-up videos, there's no clutter. The stuff is all edited. So they they hired me to write four to six times a month about really whatever I want in relation to Cincinnati sports. The allure of this to me was I love the writing end of it. I'm not a trained writer. I didn't take writing classes. My work is very, very raw. I can't tell you how many times I've gone back to read something where it's like, there's a typo, there's a misspelling. Here, I can write something and send it to someone whose job is to smooth it out. Yeah. That, to me, was the most important thing. Here's, here's how I can come across and, and, and then learn from it. Learn how to be a better writer and, and, and also write with some direction. Hey, let's, let's go in this direction, Mo, or here's an idea that maybe we, we should flesh out instead of me sitting in my laptop as a lone wolf. And I'm, I'm still writing for our website uh, at ESPN1530.com. Uh, but this was really attractive to me. It's a venture that I think can work. They've, it looks cool. It's exceptionally professionally presented. Yeah. Um, and I, I think it's, it's really good for fans in this market to have another outlet with people covering teams and doing so in a smart way, doing so in a way where you're not having deadlines, you know, browbeating the writers. So I think it's, I think it's a really good thing for the market. Great. I'm, I'm super happy for you. All right. One more question, then we'll, we'll wrap up. So you're a new father. Mm-hmm. No surprise. You named your, <laughs> you named your daughter Crosley. Yeah. Oh, so that, I love that. Um, yeah. how has, uh, how has being a parent affected your love of sports or the way you work or is, has it already? I mean, are you chomping at the bit for, you know, to teach her about all the sports that you love? It really hasn't affected love of sports. Um, it's affected how I work just because I'm in charge of getting her to daycare in the morning. So, you know, I used to roll out of bed and just sit in my home office and start plugging away at the show. And now 
this huge swath of time has been taken where, you know, we're, we're getting her ready in the morning. I, I certainly will not force feed the sports thing on my kid, but I'm hopeful that she has enough of an interest. That could be our, our thing. Yeah. And if it's not, whatever her thing is will be our thing. But I'm, I'm, I'm interested, you know, we're in the same boat. We don't have our, our dads anymore. And yeah. so I'm interested in the opportunity to teach my daughter about her granddad that she'll never meet because I can say, you know, my dad did this with me. Right. And now I'm going to do it with you. Right. So, hey, let me tell you about your grandfather. And, you know, sports was, was our bond. It was our, our thing that we had in common um, my entire life. And maybe that will be with the case with Crosley, and, and if so, great. If if not, you know that's okay too. But um, I've taken her to a college basketball game and two Reds games, and she's done pretty well. So nice. You know. Quick follow up: yeah. Is it Crosley because of Crosley Field and Al <coughs> Crosley, founder of WLW? Little of both. It- yeah. So we were we were sitting on the couch one day talking about names, and Finley came up because we love Finley Market. And we had, I, I own. Did you know it was a girl when you were talking about names? We knew it was a girl. Okay. I, I own three Crosley radios. And I kind of look over at this Crosley radio and I go, what about yeah. Crosley? So it, it does have kind of a dual meaning because, you know, the, Crosley is just a Cincinnati name. Right. Whether it's, uh, you know, WLW or the Crosley radios or all the, the appliances that uh, the Crosley company made are obviously Crosley Field. And we live in the West End, not too far away from Crosley Field. So we kind of. It was a little of everything. It wasn't just the ballpark, but it wasn't just the radio thing. It was sort of a it's, just, it's a great Cincinnati name. Yeah, as far as we were concerned, so we were excited about that. I, I, I vote that I'm going to influence the jury here. But that that should be the code for this episode. That's a good right. call. That's a good call. All right, that's a good call. Um, all right, last question. This may be the hardest one, or maybe it's not. Maybe you've already had this on your show, and you you know the answer. So, you have your choice between Bengals winning the Super Bowl. The Bearcats winning a national championship, yeah. the Reds winning the World Series, or the Knicks winning the World Series. <laughs> <laughs> what, what do you take? I'm asked this all the time. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, my my awesome. friends, because like one of my best friends is a guy named TJ, and he's like me. He likes Duke basketball. Like He's a Xavier Duke fan, loves Tennessee football, Reds, Pittsburgh Penguins, and the Bengals. And we always have this discussion of like, all right, put it in order for me. So I'll start from the bottom. It would be the Knicks. And the reason being is if they won it, I'm celebrating by myself. (laughs) (laughs) No one's burning anything outside my house, you know. So it'd be the Knicks, and then it would be UC football. Um, A huge UC football fan. Um, Probably then, working from the bottom up, the Bengals. Um, Then the Reds. I I love baseball more. Than football. I love football. I love the NFL. I love the Bengals. I just, I'm more of a baseball guy. Yeah. And then it would be UC basketball at the top because it seems to me to be, and this is odd to say, to be the most far fetched. It just, it, it's like, I think in my lifetime, the Reds will win the World Series again. Now, I'm about halfway done because I'm 40. I think in my lifetime, the Bengals will play in the Super Bowl again and, and maybe win it. UC basketball, the idea of them playing for the title seems so far-fetched. I don't know how I would act if they played for it, much less won it. So that would be that would be Nirvana for it's me. Very that would be the best. I would have guessed the Bengals, but that's very interesting. The Bengals would be great. I mean, that would be it, it would be uh, it would be awesome. And 
Because that seems the best far-fetched to me. <laughs> yeah. in, in, in many respects, it does. I mean, but, but like, you could have told me in 2015 that they would have won. Like, you could have said, Mo, look, if they get a home field advantage, Dalton's healthy, they can get past that first game, can they go to Foxborough, Brady's a thousand years old. I'm mean, like, yeah, you, you could have, like, you could have driv- driven, uh, drawn me a roadmap to, to the Lombardi Trophy. UC basketball, and I, I, look, man, I, I'm not responsible for my behavior if, if it were to ever happen. <laughs> yeah, think about it. They've had, and you could say the same thing about Xavier. Over the last 30 years, how many really good teams have they had? A bunch of them. Yeah. Great players, great coaches, one final four between the two. That's how hard it is, you know? That's how hard it is just to get to the final four and then win it? Right. Damn, I can't even yeah. imagine what that would be like. Yeah. No, I get it. You're right. Um, all right, so we mentioned the promo code. So give uh, give people a 20% off promo code. It'll be good from when this episode airs until the next episode. We'll go Crosley. So we're going to go Crosley. C-R-O-S-L-E-Y. Uh, enter promo code <coughs> Crosley to save 20% on your entire order until until the next episode drops. And then uh, remind people, other than theathletic.com, how people can – Find you and follow you. So you can follow me on uh, Twitter at MoEgger1530. I'm not the greatest Twitter follower in the world. You're one of my favorite followers. I mean, it can be it can be a little overbearing sometimes. And sometimes I'll just tweet things that no one... Like the other night I was watching UD basketball and I tweeted like, that's the worst application of replay I've ever seen. And I thought to myself, 99.9% of the people have no idea what I'm talking about. <laughs> like, But people, like friends of mine were texting me like, what are you watching? I'm like, uh... Dayton VCU. <laughs> so at Moegger fifteen thirty, our shows on weekday afternoons from uh, three to six on uh, ESPN fifteen thirty. So uh, check that out. Yeah. All right, man. Well, it's uh, it's always getting. I don't ever get to talk and hang enough. But no. I Appreciate you coming in and uh, come come see me in the studio sometime. You'll uh, be good. You got it. Talk to you later. Moegger from ESPN 1530 talking to Josh, Chris, and me about sports and broadcasting. Moe's radio program is on from 3 to 6 Eastern Time, Monday through Fridays on 1530 here in Cincinnati. And if you want to listen on your internet machine, as Emo Phillips says, you can go to iHeartMedia. Uh, it's, it's ESPN1530.iHeart.com, so you can listen to it online. Uh, there's also an application for that, I'm sure. Uh, iHeartMedia, I think it's called iHeartRadio, is the app you can use on your phone or your mobile device, and you can listen to uh, the station anywhere in the world that way, uh, just like you do with us. Today's show is produced by me, with help from Josh. Our theme music is Cincinnati by Big Nothing. They are from Philadelphia. You can find them on Facebook, and of course you can find that song on iTunes or wherever else you get your music. Find Vintage Tees from Philadelphia and other great cities like Cleveland, Louisville, Pittsburgh, Seattle, and more at OldSchoolShirts.com. Just added a few to the Detroit store, so check those out. And then, of course, uh, Cincy Shirts is online at CincyShirts.com. And in case you missed it, the promo code for this episode is Crosley, and I believe that is good at both CincyShirts.com 
as well as OldSchoolShirts.com. All right. If you're in Cincinnati, stop by one of our stores. We are in Over the Rhine at Main and Liberty, but we are moving down the block in a couple of weeks uh, to the corner of 12th and Main. That'll be the first week of April, we're thinking. So uh, stay tuned for that. Go to our website, CincyShirts.com. We'll keep you up to date. We are also in Hyde Park on Observatory, a block from the square. And uh, Loveland is coming soon. And we're hoping for that to be taking place about mid-May. We got the keys the other day, and we're very excited to open that store. Uh, other than that, uh, download or stream us next time. Bye. Bye.